Welcome to The Locker, Season 2, Episode 27. I'm your man, A. White, along with our guest co-host, uh, two-time national champion, Kentucky alumnus, myself, Mr. Cameron Mills. How you doing, Cam? I'm well, A. White. How are you, baby? I'm doing good. Oh, wait, I like that video. Did you do that video? Did you have somebody make that video for you? Because that's that's nice. I made it myself. I got a little right. skill. I, got a little <laughs> yeah. I do notice it's all football related. You said the locker. I guess it's just football locker. I guess we're not talking basketball locker room. That's fine. I've never been in a football locker room, but I, I recognize it when I see it. I, you know, I always ask for dirt on my on my guests. I asked a little dirt about you. I asked if you uh-huh. ever on the gridiron. And Cisco Bryant told me, hell no. If I, if I ever what? If you ever got on the gridiron. If no. you're a football player. Dude, I was never allowed starting in third grade. Like peewee football, right? Oh, wow. Never even played peewee. My parents, my, here's my, my mom and dad. For whatever reason, my mom was worried I'd get hurt playing football, which I guess is she's been vindicated some level today, right? With all the worry about with um, uh, concussions, but um, so I did. Um, was never allowed to pay, play pee wee football. Was never allowed. I was never allowed to go skiing um, as a kid uh, because I don't know. You may, may same thing. I, and it was just like before I even had a chance at a basketball career. It was just mom and dad were protected by sort of things. Now I could play basketball. All I won and had success with sprained ankles and hurt knees and all that kind of stuff. But it's just how it worked with basketball. Yeah. See, people don't know the bad. Well, most of the people who follow my shows are following me on media. Basketball is my favorite sport. Yeah. You like the I way mean, they dribble up and down the court? No, <laughs> that is true. Man. That's true, man. No, but no, basketball was my favorite because one thing I didn't like as a kid, you know, we we seventies babies, man. So you know yeah. when when you got up in the morning, you had to go outside and not come back in to like and and you drank from the water hose, right? Oh every yeah, time, every time you drink from the water hose, these kids today they're taking the Aquafina out to the ballpark. <laughs> we drinking from the water hose. <laughs> yeah, when you go outside, no coming back in the house, man. So yeah, I, I no, that's right. All day. Huh? Yeah, you, you get. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You come back in like five, to lunch. Your mom, and dad, would be like, "What are you doing here?" No, out all day. You come in when it's dark. We'll ring the bell. We had a bell. My mom, my mom, and dad had a, had a big triangle. They hung from the deck of the neighborhood I grew up in, Somerset, Kentucky. And when it was time to come home, they would ring it, and you could hear it all over the neighborhood. And no matter where I was in the neighborhood, it was time. All right, it's dinner time. So now I can go home. <laughs> Other than that, I can't go home. I got to be out playing. Oh, that's good stuff, man. Good stuff. You so you grew up in Somerset. So how did you? You were at a. Uh... You won a state championship with Paul Lawrence, right? I no, we were too, okay. So I was in Somerset. My dad. So I, I don't, I don't know how much detail to give you, um, Anthony. But I went. So yeah, you my give dad, a down, man. Huh? No, I want to hold that. I'm just sometimes. Listen, my sometimes I tell really detailed stories, and some people are like, "Man, I didn't even know half that." Um. So dad uh, was. Uh, I was born in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And uh, dad got asked to be the head basketball coach in Somerset, Kentucky at Somerset Community College um, at the time. I guess now it's BC or I guess it's um, part of the, uh, you know, BCTCS, part of that same system or whatever it is. Anyway, they don't have they don't have the basketball program anymore. but They had it for about a few years. Dad came in as head coach. So we moved to Somerset. But my dad was from Kentucky. So it was kind of like moving home for him. But my childhood from uh, one year old, near as I can remember back. Um, until seventh grade, I finished seventh grade in Somerset. And then, um, and then my parents did something that I was actually very thankful for, not at the time, but I am now. Um, and, and I mean, no disrespect to anyone who's playing out in the county, county systems or anything like that. But look, the closer you get to Lexington, the closer you get to Louisville, the closer you get to the big cities, you know, no matter what sports you're playing, the competition's most likely going to be tougher. And the tougher the competition is, the better you've got to get, or you don't play. Right. I mean, if you're going to go down and play dirt bowl down at, uh, uh, 
you know, in like at Shilato, which is where I played dirt bowl, you're going to play dirt bowl down there. You're going to go up against the best of the best in the summers. And so my dad, um, for two reasons, moved us from Somerset up here to Lexington in uh, 1989. One was his home office for work was here in Lexington. And two, he looked at Collier and I, more so me in seventh grade, but Collier just as much as said, you know what? I think my boys have a chance to play college basketball and they need to face better competition because you don't realize you think you're good playing against if you're playing against, you know, everyday competition. But then all of a sudden we move up here. Like I remember soccer and soccer was never going to be my sport. We moved up here to play uh, or moved up here in 89. And I did play soccer at the time. And I was like starting forward. Right. I move up to Lexington and they've got me playing fullback. And this was back when they got fullbacks <laughs> playing, you know, when you can't play, when you're the one that's all right, he's lucky to be on the team, put him at fullback. That's what I played. That's why I realized, oh, Lexington's a different world than Somerset as far as competition. Now, it may be different now. And I love the guys I played with back then, but I just, I, and I hated moving. But when I got up here, I realized, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And I had to get better. I quit soccer, thankfully, because um, it wasn't my sport, but I had to get better at basketball because competition up here is just fiercer. Um, and uh, so you have to get better or you quit. And thankfully, I realized that in seventh grade, eighth grade, and wound up spending my summers, like we were talking about, drinking from the water fountain on the basketball courts, getting better because I had to, because I had this dream of playing college basketball. And if I wasn't going to play in Lexington on, you know, against Henry Clay, Lafayette, uh, Bronx Station especially. Um, so I, we moved into Lexington, happened to move into Dunbar's district. And I was there my freshman year, 1990, which was the very first year the school was reopened after, okay. of course, uh, the old black Dunbar back in the 50s and 60s that had won so many state championships under Coach S.T. Roach. Um, they, you know, when they closed that down, I think in the 60s, the next high school that they were going to open up in Lexington had to be named after Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And uh, that was the school that I went to and um, just happened to be a part of some great teams um, in particular because a guy named Darnell Burton um, who played at, uh, who was playing at Winburn Element or Winburn Middle. And there was this, comp there was this, I don't know, um, concern over whether or not he was going to go to Lafayette where he wanted to go play with his friends, George Gentry. Um, and I'm trying to think of the other guy who was friends with Darnell or whether he's going to play in his district at Dunbar. And sure enough, second day of class, he showed up at Dunbar and he wound up going on the university of Cincinnati playing division one and got us to the sweet 16 in 1993. And then my teammates and I got back in 1994. So we got two, two runner ups, no, no state championships, two runner ups. Oh, I thought yeah. that was always the championship. We, we played the championship game in 93 against Anthony Epps okay. um, at Rupp Arena. Um, had, uh, there were 23,000 people at the game. Um, 22,000 of them were from Marion County. And that's, the, that's not even a joke. That's like literally we had 1,000 fans from Dunbar and everyone else, everyone else there was rooting for Marion County because Marion County had never won a state championship. Dunbar had okay. neither, at least not since the 50s and 60s. Um, but we were a city school and you know how this, you go to, you go to sweet 16 and it's a city school or even a Louisville school that's playing. And there aren't, there aren't many fans there, but you bring a school that's never been out of Southeastern Kentucky that they've never been to sweet 16, man, they shut down the whole County and bring them all up there. And that's what they did for Marion County championship game. There were 22,000 Marion County fans in that arena. And, uh, a guy named Michael Douglas hit four threes on us. Elton Scott had like 20. He played D1 at West Virginia. And then Anthony Epps, of course. I don't know what Anthony did, but uh, Anthony's always held that state championship over my head. All right. Hey, your, your producer, uh, super producer. Oh, says Bo I. Says hello. Yes, he is. He is absolutely a super producer. Because right? how, how much have you gotten to work with Bo over the years? I work with Bo every Sunday. I've been working okay, that's right. Right now you do, right? But but yeah. was but before COVID, did you work with Bo then too? Oh, yeah. I, I, okay. I've been. 
In the first 16 years. Okay. Uh, see, I couldn't remember what Bo's schedule was. I know I just got him because of COVID, right? Oh, okay. They won't lay up. No, and I've known Bo for years, and I've done plenty of shows with Bo, but Bo became my producer because of COVID because they wouldn't let Hunter back in the building. They wouldn't let Garrett back in the building. And those are my two prior producers, but they're still on the show. But so Bo comes in on Sundays. He's the only producer they let in the building now. They let, oh, they let him come in and do your show on Sunday mornings. He goes home, takes a nap. And then he comes back in the evening to do my show. And and it's one of those things where one of the things I'm going to miss the most about my, doing my show, and I think I've done it five or six years now, is the people at iHeart that I've gotten to work with, which has yeah. been Hunter, Garrett, Bo, um, Tim Anstead, Michael Jordan, all those guys that I've developed these friendships with that, you know, ending my show, it's, it's, it's going to be good. And I'm excited to do it because of the stage of life I'm in. But it's going to be sad because, I mean, we, we built something. It never got as big as I wanted it to, but we built something that got a lot further than I thought it ever would. Yeah, I listened to it, and I want to say uh, I enjoy listening to it. I listen to some of the podcasts when I'm on the road. Yeah. I listen to some of mine to get our listeners up, but I also like to take around and listen to other people. You guys got a – I love the fact you guys talk about a lot of different things, characters. I'm not a big movie buff, and you know <laughs> – Bo is a man of all things, but I learned a yes, lot of music from Bo, man. Listen, you you don't know how many times, like, you know, when you're feeling, so we got a two-hour show. We got, you know, that's eight, that's eight segments, right? We got yeah. four big segments and two little segments is how we look at it. I don't know if Sunday morning's the same way. I know y'all got three, yeah. three hours. We got two, but um, so those big segments are kind of easy to fill. Those are the big topics you want to talk about. It's those little segments, man, and I'm just struggling every Sunday, like, man, what are we going to talk about? And so I go to Bo every Sunday. I'm like, Bo, did anybody in the music industry die that we could, that you'd want to do a little homage to? Cause, cause we could throw it in right here and you and I could just bounce back and forth. And that's, what's so great about Bo, man. Bo can get on the air and talk about anything. Anthony Epson, what's this? Had 14.7 assists, nine through title game. This number camera had 15.4 assists. All right. So I got him by one point. He got me by three assists. But what matters, uh, Corey, is that he got the he got the ring and I didn't. I had to wait and get a ring. I would remind Anthony though that he got one ring in his UK career and I got two. So we're evened out on the rings. Hey, that hey, that's where that's where the competition is right there, man. <laughs> It does. It's, I mean, think about how many times Charles Barkley or Michael Jordan would rib Charles Barkley because he'd say, as friendly as they are and were, how many times that 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 Michael would just rib Charles and say, how many rings you got, Charles? I mean, oh, yeah. one, of, one of the great players, but it killed Charles that he never got that ring. It killed Carl um, Malone that he didn't get that ring until the Lakers late in his career, man. Those rings mean, mean everything once you get them. And then as, as nice as to have them, what's fun is when you gloat gloat him over your friends like anthony has gloated that state championship ring over me since 1993 he always brings it up anytime i see him he'll remind me of who got the best of who in the 1993 state championship game wow wow uh i thought about when you said charles barkley and michael jordan i just wanted to let our fans know that i just wanted to let the fans know when you talked about earlier you said michael jordan uh charles barkley yeah but you said you work with Tim Anstead and Michael Jordan. It oh, wasn't yeah. Michael Jordan, was it? No, it's Michael Jordan at iHeart. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, it's funny how many times I say that. I'm like, I got I to gotta talk to Michael Jordan today. And they're like, who? I'm like, no, 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 not the one you're thinking of. The, the one here locally in charge of radio. But I, I've always wondered, you know, some of these de- some of these radio people, they make up a radio name, right? I've yeah, always yeah. assumed Michael's name was made up for radio. I always just assumed that. I don't think it was, though. I think that's his given name. Yeah, I questioned that until I actually met him, and I don't know. I guess it's kind of a common name. If you got, if I had the last name Jordan, I think I'd yeah. name my kid Michael. Yeah, well, you can't now, but but yeah, back, back I guess maybe 
I'm going to guess when Michael was born, because he's not much, he's probably about our age, maybe a little bit younger than us, Anthony. He, um, I don't think Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan when he, when he was born. So why wouldn't you name your kid Michael Jordan? That's true. I, don't, I don't think Michael was that big or even yeah. known. So My man, Big Majors, met you his first year through Eric. Through Eric and Mikhail Pelfrey. Actually, I ran into Mikhail. Um, I've ran into Mikhail twice recently. So Eric Pelfrey was my brother's. Eric and Mikhail were both my brother's best friends in high school. Eric, uh, in particular, his nickname was Uge, uh, U, uh, E-U-G-E. I think we found out, I found out not long ago that, that his middle name was Eugene. I don't know. Anyway, okay. he wore, he, he had, I wish I had a picture around here somewhere. I need to get one because I tell the story all the time about Eric. He was my brother's best friend. And he had, I'm not kidding, Anthony, he had an afro this big. Had an afro <laughs> this big and wore it with pride down the halls of Dunbar High School. And it wasn't like he was doing it sarcastically. It wasn't for a joke. It was, that was Eric. That was Ooge. And uh, the Pelfrey's mom in particular had been friends, has been friends with my mom for years. So they, th- those two guys are like part of the family. Oh, okay. okay. Well, let, let's get to, uh, I guess, some of the stuff you talked about. One thing I want to know, I hear a lot of, from Marion County, uh, Elton Scott, I know, you know, obviously Anthony Epps, uh, Ju- Julius Bell played out there. Carlos Best from Henry Clay. Uh, I don't know Darnell Burton, but I heard a lot about Darnell yeah. Burton. Uh, yeah. Um, dang, I can't remember his name. Uh, he like played a Lexington Catholic. Oh, um, Vondell Morton. Vondell Morton. Vondell Morton. Yep. Yeah. So, so who's the best in high school? Who's the best you played against or played with that you felt like, hey, this guy is unreal? Least, like, okay, so played with obviously Darnell and even played against Darnell because I had to guard Darnell every day in practice. It's like my time at UK when Coach Patino reminded me daily I couldn't play defense and I wanted to look at him and say, let me introduce you to Tony Delk, uh, Roderick Rhodes, Ron Mercer, Derek Anderson. These are the guys I'm guarding. Stop telling me I can't play defense. Um, but in high school, um, Jason Osborne probably was the oh, yeah. best player I ever played against either he or Elton Scott. Elton was, of course, was um, I think Elton was um, uh, Mr. Kentucky or Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky in 94. Jason might have been Mr. Basketball in 93. Um, and so and I'll also, I'll also say this, though, I never played against him in a high school game. I played with him in the Kentucky and all star games. I think of all those players, the player that had the best career of all the high school players in Kentucky from that era was Greg Buckner, who played at University Heights and wound up and then going to Clemson. Greg had like at least an eight or nine year NBA career and he flies under the radar all the time. And I'm not sure why. I mean, he was a phenomenal player. And we realized that at Kentucky Indian All-Star practices, when you've got all the guys who, you know, there's all these egos and we all should have been Mr. Basketball, we think, and all this stuff. And we get into practicing Greg Buckner with Elton Scott, who was Mr. Basketball. Um, and Greg Buckner is dominating these practices. He dominated the practices. He dominated both Kentucky and in all-star games. Uh, he hit the game winning shot for the game. We won, uh, in Indiana, they beat us here in Kentucky. Um, yeah. and we were one of the few Kentucky Indiana all-star teams that went one for one against Indiana because Indiana, because back in the day they dominated us. They beat us two Oh every year. Um, but Greg Buckner is the reason we won. And, and he's probably the most talented player from my high school days. If you consider where he went in his career. Um, the toughest is is Anthony. Anthony Epson by far. Um, and, and I didn't realize that until I played with him at UK. I mean, he's got more heart than any player I've ever played against. The last thing you wanted to do is um, being um, uh, last thing you want to do is being one on one or individual instruction with Anthony, because you're looking for guys in individual instruction, sadly. But this is true. You're looking for guys that are going to try to take it easy. Right. They got, hey, man, listen, we got to go at each other, but I'm going to go about 75 percent speed. That means you can go 75 percent speed. Anthony never went 75 percent. Anthony went full bore all the time. And when Anthony showed up in your individual instruction, 
because the way they would do it is they would divide you up, try to get all the guards together, all the big men together, and then divide it and try to get you out by class. So sometimes on a Monday, you'd be with a certain group of about four or five guys doing uh, I.I., and then um, Tuesday, you'd be of another group, but they put all the guards together as much as they could. So when Anthony was in your individual instruction, you knew, OK, it's going to be 45 minutes of just hell on earth. It's just going to be because Anthony is going to eat your heart out. Uh, and Anthony, has, he walked on to Kentucky. Anthony. No, he didn't. He, he Well, he, he did. Really he, so, he did. Yeah, Anthony walked on, was going to walk on. But before his freshman year officially started, they gave him a scholarship. So he was willing to walk on and was going to, but, and I think this is, I think that's accurate. I think the story goes that he was willing to walk on and then they gave him a scholarship because they had one come available. Same reason I got a scholarship in 97 and 98. It wasn't that I earned it though. They put it that way. And I appreciate that. That was kind of them, but it was, there was a scholarship that wasn't going used, believe it or not. And of course you look at the 96, 97 teams, especially, and you're like, yeah, I can understand why there would be a scholarship not going used because there's so much talent. Right. It's like, what do we need another guy at McDonald's All-American for or, or you know, potential All-American? And um, they just had one. And so why waste it? Why not give it to the walk-on? And that, that year it happened to be me. So, But that's the same thing happened to Anthony. I think there was one available, and Coach P gave it to Anthony, and it was well-deserved. Anthony's story is one of the best stories in U.K. history of uh, a Kentucky boy who Coach Patino himself did not have confidence in 1996. Um, at the beginning of that year, of course, the year we went, what, 38-2 and two and won the championship, of course. Coach Patino did not have had so little confidence in Anthony to run the team at the beginning of that year that he put Tony Delk at point. Tony's yeah. not a true point. He put Jeff Shepard at point. Jeff is not a true point. Um, so he's got two, and Jeff can't even use his left hand. So you've got a non-point guard with only one hand basically running point guard for a team that's supposed to win the national championship, all because coach did not have con- confidence in Anthony. And the moment coach just flipped a switch and said, We live or die with Anthony Epps, is when we started living with Anthony Epps. And the story of what he did from that moment when coach said, you're my guy, no matter what you're, we are going to live or die with you this year because of Anthony's heart. And Anthony's just, he's just so freaking tough. Um, yeah. He just, he, he carried us to the national championship. I mean, Tony Delk will get the credit. Mark, Mark Pope will get the credit. Uh, Ron Merce will get the credit because he had 20 points in the national championship game, but we don't win that championship at all. No, we don't even come close if it's not for Anthony Epps that year. He knocked down a bunch of big buckets too. I don't know. Was shooting his thing? I know he's not going to Well, he was a great three-point shooter, and that was the thing. He was tough. He was strong. He could shoot. And so when he's different from Wayne Turner, right, because Wayne Turner Wayne Turner was going to beat you off the dribble. And Anthony yeah. could, but Wayne was going to. Anthony was that point guard that was kind of looked to pass. Like he would genuinely – his first option was he was going to try to set up his teammates, and then if they deferred back to him or reversed the ball and he was open, he'd pop a three. I mean, I bet he shot 37 38% of the three-point line um, during his career. Um, and that's what made him dangerous. Now, Wayne Turner was never going to hit, you know, a, a great percentage from the three-point line. But Wayne, as we saw in the 98 Duke game, Wayne was going to get you to the rim. And at that point, defense collapses, right? So if Wayne gets in the lane, you're done. He's either going to get fouled, um, he's going to make a basket, uh, or he's going to find somebody open for a three, which luckily was me a lot in 97, um, or he's going to dish to somebody in the low post. I mean, if Wayne gets in the middle, you're done. You're done for as a defense. Anthony could do it in many different ways, most of which, and not to not to dis- diminish his ability, but I just when I think of Anthony Epps, I just think of he's the toughest guy I've ever played against or played with. Okay. So it's more mental toughness than anything. I'm gonna, I guess we're going to jump around because I'm trying to keep on task with my questions and also trying <laughs> to keep on task with theirs. But uh, Lacey, Bo's little sister, wants to know: yeah. Are you guys going to have another big guest on there like Patino before y'all no. sign off? 
No, that's a great question, Lacey. Um, we've kind of, um, I don't know how to put this. Um, um, we've kind of hit our, 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 I, I had had every, I'd had coach Smith on, I'd had, um, Martin Newton on, I'd had, you know, I never had coach Cal on, um, but I'd had all my teammates on my show in the last five years. The one person I never had on was coach Patino. And the reason for that was, is I was scared of him. Just, I mean, I'm, I mean, just, I'm just, I'm, I'll be honest. We're all scared of him. And so when he had his Iona explosion, whatever you want to call it, when he gets Iona back to the Sweet 16, he's getting celebrated again. I thought, there's no way. Oh, he also sends out a tweet saying to all my guys, all my former players, because Coach P is very loyal to his ex-players, to all my guys who wished me well, thanked me, congratulated me. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Well, I was one of those that sent him a text congratulating him. So when I saw that tweet, I was like, okay, he can't be mad at me now. So now is when I have to have him on the show. So I just reached out to him, and he was in, you know – Coach, you got to find in the right mood. If coach is in the right mood, he'll do anything for you. If he's not in the right mood, he, he won't text you back kind of thing. So he was in a great mood because um, he was so proud of his Iona Gales and um, uh, we had him on. But no, we're, we're not planning any big send off. We're not planning. Uh, we're just going to wrap up the show, hopefully gracefully uh, on May 2nd. Um, be done with it. Give it to, for the summer. Uh, give the podcast over to Hunter and Chandler and let them play around and do a podcast called, um, I think, Sideline Sports Report. Uh, which will start um, probably May 10th, uh, some, sometime uh, the week after we go. It'll, and it'll just be podcast. But no, we're not planning any big send off. Well, since she got you on this uh, line of questioning, let me ask you this. I have a tough time. I've had one. Well, I've had several. No, I have several of my former coaches on. And I, I'm just kind of the opposite of you. I don't want to get them when they're going through turmoil in their life or the media yeah. is after. But yeah. I also want to go when they're hot because I think everybody's tugging at them. And I don't want to be that it's guy. Hard, isn't it? What is your avenue? Do you do you send the interns out there? What's your avenue? No. That's my biggest thing about finding guests. Well, I really okay. I, how many how many coaches did you have though? Because you were there four years, you got all kinds of. I mean, football team, y'all got like twenty five coaches. It seems like anyway, and no matter what you play, I imagine you've got some relationship with all of them, right? Good relationships. Okay. Than, than okay. Good. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So I was there four years. I had the same four coaches for three of those years, and then four new coaches for my last year. So if I'm talking specific, and now if I'm talking specifically about coaches, not my not my teammates, but coaches, I, either I have their cell phone or I don't. Um, it's such it's it's just a smaller bubble, right? Than you have. You got a big football bubble. I got a small bubble of thirteen players each year, four coaches. At 17 people, I've got everybody's cell phone number. I've got a, I've got a 98 team group text. I've got a 96 team group text that we go back and forth. If something happens to somebody, like when, when Jeff Shepard's kid, when Reed started playing out of his mind this year, man, the text started going, congratulating Shep. Um, a few years ago when we had the 96 reunion, the text started going just basically, and I know you know this, there is nothing better than – making fun of mocking and needling your teammates, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was nothing better back then. There is nothing better today. There is never any sincere compliments passed around to a teammate. If you're not making fun of your teammates, you don't love your teammates. And so, um, man, they just go back and forth, but I just reach out to them. Um, sometimes I, most of the time I hear back, sometimes I don't, but it's just, I got a smaller bubble to deal with than you do. So I just, I don't have uh, interns reach out. Now I would have um, Hunter or somebody reach out to somebody I don't know. Yeah. Um, and say, hey, see if you can, you know, get them interested in the show. Um, and to be honest, that's probably something I should do anyway. But as far as people I know, I'll reach out directly. Well, you did name a name, and that was my next topic on the list. Then we're gonna get to more personal stuff. Okay. About directly, we're gonna ask you about you, so you won't be telling stories about everybody else. But that's fair. So, Reed Shepard, uh, 
Is he coming to UK? Uh, what's your assessment on him? Um, you got any influence on Jeff having him come here? Jeff and Stacey having him come here? I, I, I've got as much influence. I, I look at it this way. I've got as much influence probably as uh, anyone else in the state does. Um, what I do have is I've got um, I've got Jeff's ear and Jeff's got my ear and Jeff and I talk. Um, but right now, because of the read thing, man, Jeff is Jeff and Stacy are just thrilled with what's going on. Because I mean, if I could tell you, and I and I and I can't and I won't, uh, Anthony. But if I could tell you who's recruiting, who's recruiting Reed right now, Reed's getting recruited by pretty well the best in the state in the country right now. Um, yeah. Now, to be fair, he's a sophomore, and Chef always brings this up. He's a sophomore. Who knows what's going to happen next two years? He's got two more years left. Um, he's already crossed the two thousand point threshold, so he'll probably get to four thousand. <laughs> But he's also getting these triple doubles. So it's not like he's just running and gunning. He's dishing the ball around and doing the hard work down on the low post and get the rebounds. Um, My thing is, I desperately hope he comes to Kentucky. Um, I think in Jeff's heart of heart, this this and this is nothing Jeff has shared with me um, other than the fact that because the thing about Jeff is Jeff has been careful to make sure everybody knows. Jeff has no problem with him coming to Kentucky. This this nonsense out there that, oh, Cal and Jeff don't get along. That is completely fictitious. That is made up. That is rumor that has been passed on from year to year. And everyone thinks they know. That's not true. Um, they, they, there's no beef between Coach Cal and Jeff. Um, and so Jeff made it clear that through my show, he has no problem with Reed going there. But what Jeff wants, and I think any father would want this for his kid, is he wants Reed to go where he's going to be happy. Um, now, as a Kentucky fan who loves Reed, who definitely would like to see a Kentucky player or two on the team um, contributing, I'm also not one of these guys that says we have to have a Kentucky player. I'd love to see it, but I don't think we have to. What we have to have is the best 13 players in the country or the best we can get. And they got to play as a team. That's what led to the 2012 championship. And I know a lot of people point to Darius Miller and I do agree. We don't win that championship without Darius Miller, but um, I think we just got to have the best 13 players. And I think also this, there's an idea that, wow, Cal hadn't won a championship since 2012. I'd say years ago, eh? these things don't grow on trees. Kentucky basketball has been around 115 years. We only have eight. Okay. That's not a championship every year. Cal is right on pace where he should be. He's been here 10 years. He's got a championship. Uh, what Tubby was here eight years. He got a championship. Patina was here nine years, eight years. He got a championship. So Cal's right where he needs to be. So anything else from this point on that he does. And I think he very easily could get another championship um, because I don't think he's lost his touch, but I would love to see Reed come be a part of that. I, I, I just, I love Reed personally. Uh, I love his sister. I just love their whole family. Jeff is one of my best friends and uh, even closer now than we were when we played. Um, and I would just love to see uh, Reed come here. And I think in his heart of hearts, I think Jeff would be, um, and I'll say this carefully because again, Jeff has not said this, so I'm just guessing, but I think Jeff would love, I, I think it, the biggest thrill in the world for Shep would be see Reed playing wearing blue and white Kentucky cross the chest wearing number 15. Don't know that that'll happen. I hope it happens. I think Jeff secretly hopes it happens, but he's not saying one way or the other right now. Right now, he just wants his son to be happy. Is that the case if Cal, not saying that he's not going to be, but is that the case if Cal isn't the coach in 2024 or 2023? I would say so, yeah. I would say so. Now, see, and that's, that's, the, that's, that's the, the tricky part, right? Because if Cal's not here, presumably we go out and get another fantastic coach because we are Kentucky, and it's a very heavily coveted job. Um, if, um, if, if Cal's not here, we're going to have another great coach. And I would assume it'd be the same thing. See, I don't think to people like me, when I grew up in Kentucky, just like Reed's grown up in Kentucky, I grew up with a dad that played at Kentucky. Reed grew up with a dad that played at Kentucky. 
I, I don't want to assume to speak for Reed, but for people like me, it didn't matter who the coach was. It, it didn't matter. It could have been Eddie Sutton. It could have been Joe B. Hall. It could have been Adolf Rupp. It could have been Coach Cal. I wanted to wear the blue and white. I wanted to wear 21. I wanted to see Mills on the back of my jersey. And if I had done that for any coach and sat the bench for four years, I would have been a happy camper on senior day. I mean, that's 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 what I expected and wanted. Um, I got to do a lot more than that, and that's completely thanks to Rick Pitino, um, who would never let me settle for averageness. Um, and Tubby Smith to a, a lesser degree, simply because Tubby only had me for one year. Rick had me for three. Um, but um, I, I just I, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to matter who. But to read, it may there may be a coach like I want to play for this coach. I remember when I was getting recruited, Anthony. Um, it was down to three schools. It was down to Georgia, who wanted me um, and wanted me to sign. It was down to Kentucky, who did not want me. Right? They weren't going to offer me a scholarship. And it was down to University Tennessee at Martin. So you, you you compare those three schools, Kentucky, Georgia, SEC, uh, Big Five Conference, you know, division, high division one basketball, SEC basketball, University of Tennessee and Martin. The reason is because the coach at the University of Tennessee, Martin, was the most impressive as far as he's at a small school. But he came in and his pitch was, I mean, I, I left his pitch to me and I wanted to go out and run five miles. I mean, he was just motivating. And so Coach P never gave me his pitch. His pitch to me was. Are you sure you want to come here? Don't you want to go somewhere else and play? Because you're never going to play here, right? Um, Georgia's pitch was great, but Georgia was in Athens, Georgia, and I'm kind of a homeboy or a homebody, and I wanted to stay home as close to Lexington as I could. Um, but it's just funny. Coaches matter, and a lot of these kids, that's why I like about this transfer portal thing, um, in part because these kids aren't going to these schools because they want to play for these schools the way I did. They're going to these schools because they want to play for that coach and because they're looking at the situation saying – this coach, this situation, I got a best, I got the best chance to go to the next level here than I do here. I was never going to the next level. So who was the coach didn't matter. As long as they were the coach of Kentucky, I wanted to play for them. I got you. I got you. So who I'm gonna ask you a two-party question. Okay. Who was the best player on your team when you're like, wow, this guy is fantastic and I know he's gonna make it? And second part is, and you don't really have to say, is there anybody in your uh in your four years that you felt like this dude gets on my nerves? Oh yeah. Maybe. Oh gosh, yes. Oh, I'll mention names because now they don't. See, that's the great thing about it, man. Once once you grow up and you get buddies, you're like, man, you were you were just a you were just an ass to me. You really were. Um, so um my as far as gonna make it, Ron Mercer, Tony Dell, Antoine Walker, Walter McCarty, Derek Anderson. Like there was no doubt those guys were gonna have NBA careers of some merit. You didn't know Nazi was the surprise. Because yeah. when Nazi reported, he reported like me, overweight, out of shape. Um, coach was like, Coach Coach Patino was like, I don't even know if this guy's going to make it a year, much less an 18-year NBA career. I mean, yeah. Nazi Muhammad's got the longest NBA career of any Kentucky player ever. Um, and uh, so he was a surprise. So he was one that I definitely didn't think was going to make it and did. As far as guys that got on my nerves, um, Antoine Walker. And Antoine, I'll tell you, Antoine got on everybody's nerves. <laughs> Antoine came in with the biggest, most arrogant, cocky head. I'll tell you a story about Antoine. I've told this before. I'll tell you real quick. So we're in summer. Uh, summer is when you become better, right? I, I assume it's the same for football. Like in that summer between freshman and sophomore year, that's when you become better. That's when you become like, that's when you get better. You don't get better during the season. You get better as a team during the season, but you get better as an individual in the summer. So we play pickup games five days a week during the summer, no coaches, just us. And I mean, they were brutal. They were knock you down. They were competitive. So we're coming down at one point. This is in between my freshman and sophomore year. So I graduated from freshman. I was no longer a freshman. I was now going to be a sophomore, 
but I still didn't have much respect of any of my teammates because I didn't deserve it. Um, but I definitely didn't have Antoine's respect. So we're playing a pickup game and I'm on Antoine's team, unfortunately, unfortunately for me. Um, and unfortunately for Antoine too, as it turns out. Um, so we're coming down and it so happens I'm leading a break. Now it's game point, right? We would always play to 11. It's game point. We're up, I think, 10 to 7, 10 to 8, something like that. So it's a close game, but this is game point, a fast break. And it's like a one-on-three fast break. So chances are we're going to score and win this game and, and stay on court and have, you know, next come on. So it's me, for whatever reason, leading the break just because I happened to – the ball bounced to me. It wasn't like I they passed it to me like, Cameron, you lead the break. That would never happen. The ball bounced to me. I took off down the middle. I've got Antoine down this wing. I've got Tony Delt down this wing. I'm like, man, no matter which way I pick, we're going to score and win. As I'm thinking about who I'm going to pass it to, reading the one defenders in front of me, I bounce the ball off my knee. It <laughs> hits my foot, and Kareem's out of bounds in front of me. Antoine <laughs> explodes, cusses me out, tells me I'm the worst player he's ever seen. And then, and this is the best part, it carries over into the locker room. 20 minutes later, we're in the locker room. We're not playing anymore. We're all showering up. He's still on my case. And then it gets to the best part ever. He goes, I want you to get your stuff. I want you to get it out of the locker. I want you to pack it all up. I want you to go home. You're off the team. I'm like, <laughs> can, I'm looking I'm looking at the seniors. I'm like, can he kick me off the team? He can't kick me off the team, can he? I didn't know what to do. I, mean, I was stunned. I mean, he literally tried to throw me off the team. He may have even gone to have a word with Coach P. He was that mad. But that's Antoine. Um, Antoine just was – he was competitive. He was arrogant. Um, and the funny thing about it is now – he is the, he's one of the kindest, most humble guys you'll ever meet. And if you know his story, you would understand that. He's been through a lot. He's made some mistakes and he's admitted that. But he's still, man, he would, you go up to Antoine now, first thing he does, how's your family? How you doing? Right? That's not Antoine of old. Antoine of old was about himself. Antoine nowadays is about other people. And it's cool to watch him do that. Tony Delt drove me nuts because Tony, um, as much as I love Tony now, man, Tony, he, he hazed me. Tony had must have been hazed as a freshman himself. And so Tony decided to haze me, particularly because I was the walk on. And so among many things he did to me, he stuck me. And I imagine y'all had these two right after practice. You put your gear in like a like a like a, a like a mesh a, bag. Yeah, mesh bag. Yeah. yeah. You up, right. You throw it in. And the next day, you know, it's sitting there waiting, ready for you to go. Or, you know, there's rotations of these mesh bags in your in your practice gear. So there's this hamper that after practice, we would put all of our dirty stuff, our sweaty stuff in a mesh bag, throw it in this hamper. Mr. Kiley would come get it and he'd wheel it out. So I had had a particularly bad practice or Tony was particularly feeling full of himself or something. He decided that what he would do is he would throw me as I was getting undressed, getting ready to get in the shower. He took me, put me in the hamper and wheeled me out to the outside of the locker room. So I'm outside of the locker room, outside our locker room at Memorial Coliseum naked as I could be in this hamper. And now the problem is the door out of our locker room, you can't get back in. You got to go back through the weight room. Well, the cheerleaders, the, the soccer team, there was, a, there, was a, there was a set of girls in there lifting weights. And so I had to get out of that stupid hamper and I had to run as fast as I could, go through the locker room, butt naked, get into our locker room and just to get redressed. And I know how to do that. I didn't know if I could do that. I know if I wanted to do that all because Tony thought it'd be funny. So I, I Yeah, I didn't like Tony when we played, at least for that freshman year when he was hazing me. Antoine was hard to like anyway. But the fun thing now is we get back and we sit back 20 years looking back and we're like, man, we're, as hard as those days were, and they were hard, we didn't laugh then, but we can laugh about them now. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes those those text streams with my 96 guys and my 98 guys. It just makes them so much fun because stories start to pop up. And man, those stories were not funny at the time, but they are hysterical now. That is hilarious. Tell me about an instance at UK that 
something, I don't know, I guess worst moment at, at basketball. It could be on campus. It don't even have to be basketball. What's worth okay. one moment that you like, man, you really don't like reliving or telling people about? <laughs> There's plenty on the basketball court. Um, I, well, I, I've told this story a few times, but it's it's first thing that comes to mind because it, it was it's funny. Again, it's one of those stories that at the time it wasn't funny. It was it was awful. Um, now it's funny. So I report as a freshman, incoming freshman, to coach's basketball camp in the summer, right? Summer for my freshman year. I report with Scott Paget and uh, Alan Edwards, my two fellow uh, uh, freshmen, along with Antoine Walker, who wasn't there yet. So we report to coach's camp. Um, the NCAA just passed a rule that we as incoming freshmen could actually participate in camp. So coach had us participating in camp, had us coaching camp, and then had us playing with the guys at night. So we get there. It's the second night of camp. I've already reported in as a freshman to start lifting weights. I've already been told I'm too heavy, right? Because coach was adamant, like, slow guys like me got to be lighter. Like, yeah. guys like Walter McCarty need to be bigger because he's quick as can be, but he gets pushed around. So he's got to put on weight. That's why he had a 10,000-calorie-a-day 10, diet. Yeah. I had, like, a 200-calorie-a-day diet, right? <laughs> so I'm like, he is trying to strip weight off me, thinking the lighter Cameron is, the quicker he, he's going to be. And to some extent, that's true. So I report to campus, 217 pounds at six foot three. That night, I'm weighed, I'm weighed by our strength and conditioning coach. He, of course, relays it to Coach Patino, unbeknownst to me, because that's, of course, that's what he does. Um, that's just how coaching is. That night, I see Coach for the first time since he told me I could walk on. And um, I'm um, when Coach pees at his camp, it's like all the coaches gather around. He's telling stupid stories. Everybody laughs, you know, idiotically at these stupid stories. Or, you know, Coach says, tells a joke. Everybody laughs stupidly because they kind of want to suck up to him. So they blew the whistle. They're getting ready to do the lineup for camp. And I find myself walking next to Scott Padgett and Coach Pete. And I'm expecting Coach Pete to say, Cam, good to see you. You know, glad you're here. Want you to work hard this summer. Um, you know, looking forward to what we're going to do this year. That kind of some kind of something like that. What he actually says to me is he says, Cameron, you are the fattest effing ball player I've ever seen in my entire effing life. You either lose the effing weight or you are off the team. Oh, wow. And I am stunned. I mean, because this now, now I'm not stunned now because that's Coach P. That's how Coach P is. Coach P will light you up in the in the blink of an eye. Yeah. But I wasn't ready for it then. And Anthony, I'm not kidding. I drove home that night crying my eyes out, went to my mom and dad, said, I got to quit. I can't take four years of this man. And as it turned out, I didn't have to take four years of him. I had to take three years of him. But that's <laughs> the big thing is once you, and I don't know if you experienced this, but once you got to that certain level with a coach where you know he does, it, it sounds personal, but it's not personal. He doesn't hate me. He is motivating me. And here's what happened. I had to lose. In, so he told me that on a certain day, right? I weighed 217. I was down within two and a half weeks. I weighed 185. Dang. Because wow. that, that moment scared me. I was eating bowls of air. I was I was drinking glasses. I mean, I wasn't eating. I was, I mean, I was, I was, I was on the stairmaster, burning eleven hundred calories a day for like two hours. I was constantly, I was lifting, I was doing everything. And in in two and a half weeks, I'd lost whatever that is, 217 to 185. And that's what I played in my freshman year was 185. Actually, at one point, I think I was down to 178. But then they started putting a little weight. up. I mean, I had hollow cheeks and everything. Um, so it's one of those things where people like laugh at me, like how much weight I've gained since then. And I'm like, look, dude, if you had been yelled at the way I was yelled at about losing weight during your four year career, you'd hate working out nowadays, too. Yeah, no, nah, I wasn't. I wasn't like you said. Whenever a coach motivated me with the challenge, yeah, and I overcame the challenge, I held a grudge after that because I, okay, coach. now I did what you wanted to. I, now I've done what you wanted me to do. What are you going to do for me? And never turned out what I wanted done. Well, 
again, and I think this is part of that 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 big world, that little world that I got to live in as a basketball player, and the big world in the football world, right? Where it depends on who that coach is. Like if it's if it's your if it's your team's coach or your position coach, right? Well, I guess he could have some say over your playing time, couldn't he? I don't know how it works. Like I said, I never played peewee. Um, in my world, there was one coach that mattered, and his name was Rick Pitino. And he absolutely held your life in his hand. And um, the thing is, is that even all that work I did, the only reason I got to play was because DA went down with that torn ACL in 97. Coach wasn't going to give me a chance because I'd lost weight. Coach was only going to give me a chance if, well, if there was a need. And he had a need. He needed a two guard in 1997. And I just got lucky and I, and, and I don't believe in luck. So to me, it was a God thing, but yeah. I got in there in 1997 and all of a sudden there's no Jeff Shepard's red shirted. Derek Anderson's torn his ACL. Alan Edwards has a broken foot. There is no two guard on that bench or any, anyone that can even play two guard like Alan could, but he's got a broken foot. So he puts me in in 97 in an SEC tournament, actually even before that. And I just start hitting threes and I don't stop hitting threes. I think I sh- shot like 67% from the three point line in NCAA tournament. And coach P's even commenting to me, like, what the heck's going on with you? I'm like, I honestly don't know, coach. I I, I can't explain it. I'm just thankful for the opportunity. Oh, hey, uh, Carter Hall wants to know: Is your dad from Barberville? Yes, yeah, that is that is my my uh, Carl, my fa- Carter, my family is um, from, uh, and you you probably don't know this term, uh, Anthony, um, up Stinking Creek. Now Carter may know it. Uh, Stinking Creek is a little creek that winds up through Bell County and Knox County, right on the border. Um, it's uh, just outside of Barberville, and that's where my entire family is from. Is from Stinking Creek. So, Sean, right. God. yeah, yeah. So, were you talking about the coaches, man? This is something I've been going around social media a lot. Uh, can you rank? And I'm only asking these coaches because yeah. I think you have some kind of interaction with them. Coach P, uh, Tub, and, and Cal. How would you rank them one through three? Well, here's the thing. So I, I've never played for Coach Cal, so I don't know where to put him. I have to put Coach P above Coach Smith, but for this reason alone, I played for Coach P for three years. Coach Patino is the one that's responsible for getting me to believe more in myself than anyone else ever has when it comes to basketball. He And I didn't realize this until about three years ago when we had a reunion. He did not have to waste his energy or breath yelling at a walk-on who was really only there to wear the uniform. He didn't have to yell at me the way he did his McDonald's All-Americans, but he did. And at the time, I hated him for it. 20 years later, I look back and I'm like, if he doesn't yell at me, I don't have the career I have at UK. And even though I was a, a decent player, he turned me into be able to doing one thing. I tell kids all the time, it's like Dennis Rodman. If you want to play Division One basketball or you want to play college basketball, let's leave it at that, you have to be able to do one thing better than anyone. Now, whatever that one thing is, it can be a Dennis Rodman type thing. It can be a shooting thing. It can be a dribbling thing. If you can do one thing better than anyone in the country, somebody's going to find a space for you on their team because any good coach is going to say, okay, he's a decent shooter or a good shooter. I can turn him into a great shooter. And then all this other stuff, I can get him. He can be workable. And that's where I was. I was a good shooter. Coach Patino turned me into one of the best shooters in the country. And then all the stuff I couldn't do, like dribbling, passing, defense, um, rebounding, all the other parts of the game, um, Coach P got me to the point, especially defense, where he said, look, he put me in the game and whispered in my ear, don't kill us on defense and I'll leave you in as long as I can. <laughs> You're talking about motivation, right? That's motivation. Like, just don't hurt us, son. But that's how it was because I knew I was a terrible defender. I proved it every day in practice. Um, I had to go in and just I – had, I had to maintain my guy and make sure my guy didn't burn us. If my guy didn't burn us, he was going to leave me in and hopefully I'd get, I'd get a couple shots off and knock him down. But the moment my guy burned us – I was on that bench and on that bench to stay. So I would say Coach P for that reason, number one. Tubby, because Coach P never turned off. Tubby could. 
Um, and um, it, it was one of those things where um, I love Tubby to death. Um, I always loved Tubby. Didn't always love Rick. Rick was hard to play for. Now I love Rick to death. Um, I don't know how to rank Cal. Here's the thing. All three of them have national championships at the University of Kentucky. So they're all three. They, they belong in the same conversation. They belong up in the banners or in the rafters at UK. They belong in the Hall of Fame. Um, national championships, contrary to what most UK, UK fans want to believe, myself included, man, they don't happen every year. They hardly ever happen. And for one coach to get one, he's done his job at the University of Kentucky. That's, that's bullshit, Cameron. And that's going to lead to my next question. Uh, do you think, and, I, you, and you've been honest thus far, more honest than I assumed you would be. And I didn't think you were going to hold anything back. But this here, this was on the table now. All right. Do you think Cal should have more than one national championship? No. So no. you finally have a one, or you don't think he could have had more? No, that, that's the thing. I wish he had more. But this idea that all this talent that he's had, he should have more. This talent was a bunch of 18-year-old kids, eh? They don't know what they're doing. Here's the thing. What we had this year, this is what we should have been used to for the last 10 years. This is what we should be used to. The mere fact that we're so abnormally not used to this has to do with Cal's greatness as a coach. This is the, the, we. This was the normal year. The nine years prior were the abnormal years. You explain to me how, I don't care how talented you are. Go in the football locker room right now, or not the, football, the weight room at UK football. What's that sign say up on the board, right? Does it matter how much talent you have if you don't work? It doesn't matter how much talent these guys come in with. If they don't get to UK, work their butts off, and then join and become a team, they're not going to do anything special. And yet he's got these guys in four Final Fours, two national championship games, one national championship in nine years. This year is the normal year. The other nine are the anomaly. We should have had those other nine years. This year is what we should have had. And we finally got it. And by the way, for the fans who say, hey, we want players that are going to stick around for more than one year. Here's what you got. Here's your point. This is what you have. You got not, you got 13 guys that are going to have to stick around because they're not good enough to go to the next level. So if what we want is guys to stick around Kentucky and not go to the NBA and not have this one and done stuff, that means Cal has to actually recruit less talented players. You tell me what UK fan is going to be okay recruiting a less talented team simply so they'll stick around longer. And look what happens. Ask you goes, right? Ask you goes, what's the first thing they say? The first thing they say is, well, he wasn't good enough to be here anyway. That's right. So you're telling me you want Cal to recruit a bunch of players that aren't good enough to be here? Because the bottom line is, if they stay, they're not going to be good enough to be here. If they go, now I don't have, a, I don't like it because they're one and done players. That's This is what we should have expected. We got lucky that we didn't get this every year. That's the greatness of Cal. So you're telling me this is going to be the norm. So no, I'm saying, this should, no, no, no. I'm saying this should have been the norm. I'm saying we're lucky this wasn't the norm. I'm not saying it will be because, again, that's Cal's greatness is he's able to get a bunch of talented kids. Because think about what I said earlier. If you've got if you've got a, a group of kids, when did you when did you improve the most in your football career? What but, but what year? Sophomore to junior. OK, fair enough. In basketball, it's typically the summer between your freshman and sophomore year. So here's the problem is when people see guys like um, uh, uh, um, kid at UCLA. Yeah. When people see what he did this year and they say, why couldn't Cal hold on to him? Well, twofold. Number one, he was going back home to go back home anyway. But let's say it had nothing to do with that. OK, they look at it and they say, you see, Cal can't improve these players the way, you know, this coach at, at UCLA. That, that's not it. It's a matter of this kid was 18. Now he's 19. His body's maturing. It happens all the time. Look at Tony Delk's career. Tony Delk's career. He was a decent well, scratch that. He was a great player his freshman year. But when did he make his leap? 
He didn't make his leap his freshman year. He made the leap into the starting lineup and become this potential All-American his sophomore year because over that summer, he got better. Over that summer, I got better between freshman and sophomore. That's when they get better. So if we lose them to another team or the NBA, because I think that's what a lot of fans do. They look at the NBA and they say, look at all this talent. You've got Murray. You've got Booker. You've got Anthony Davis. You've got – how's he not winning championships with these guys? Well, you guys are looking at these players in the NBA five or six years into their careers. They're now 24-25, making league maximum and leading the league in scoring. Yes, it does look ridiculous that Cal didn't win national championships, but you're looking at them now. You got to look back at what they were when they were 18, 19 years old. They didn't have those bodies. They didn't have that shooting. They didn't weren't able to do then what or they weren't able to do now. Get this right. They what they're able to do now. They couldn't do it all back then. As great as they were, they're still far better now. And that's just how it works. That's the problem with having the one and done. But let's remember the one and done is not it's not this concoction of Calipari. It's a concoction of the NBA. Here's what Cal's done. Cal has gone out and he has recruited the best players he can get. So they come to Kentucky because it's Kentucky and it's Cal. He gets into the NBA faster. The alternative is Cal has to actually go intentionally recruit less talented players. What UK fan is going to be okay with that? None of them. None of them would be okay with that. Because the problem is all they want is talented players because that gives us the best chance. It guarantees nothing. It gives us the best chance. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you this. What say you this, Mr. Mills? Cal uh, is bringing in the guys you're saying, and they may take two years to be what they're going to be or start blossoming into yeah. what they're going to be. So who I'm – not, I'm not really going to play the blame game. Yeah. But if Cal are bringing these guys in here, and Cal's making a commitment to these guys, I want you to address this as well. It's, it appears to me that he's making a commitment to these guys, hell or high water. We're going to give you an opportunity to showcase your skills, whether they're ready or no. not, I, no. i.e. Uh, Devin Askew. But part two or, is – Or Dante where, Allen. Where's, where's the, uh, the detachment that if these guys come here and you're not ready to go, that you owe it to Cal to stay another year to make sure they're ready to go? These guys are leaving and yeah. – and not so so well where if you're, talking about, if you're talking about leaving to go somewhere else right because well so twofold number one there's this feeling that they're getting recruited over right same what same thing happened when i played right the tony delks the roger Rhodes, that the, um these guys always felt like the next guy upcoming was was and that's what happens coach try to coaches try to recruit the best players the players leaving if that's what you're asking about and going away early that's just part of the the thing here's the one thing i will be critical of cal on and I think it showed up this year more than any other year. And I think there's been there's been hints of this, right? Is that he seems more dedicated towards getting kids to the NBA than he does winning games at UK. And I've not wanted to believe that. I've struggled to believe that. But when he came out his first year and said the greatest night in the history of Kentucky basketball happened the night, you know, after we don't we get put we get put out by what uh, West Virginia in the Elite Eight, um, his first year. And then six guys get drafted um, as soon as that season. He says it's the greatest night in the history of Kentucky basketball. That bothered me because it by far was not the greatest night in the history of college basketball. Not even close. Okay, the greatest night of college NBA, the greatest night of college basketball in the state of Kentucky. There have been eight of them now. At the time, there were seven of them. Those are the greatest nights in college basketball in the history of Kentucky. When he said that, that bothered me. And then this year, it did look awfully like he was giving. Um, and now I'm, I'm blanking on the kid's name uh, that he gave um, Dante Allen. Dante Allen was deserving of the minutes that he was given to um, what's his face? Who's the kid? Um, Brandon Boston. Boston. Yeah. Boston. That, that whole thing with Boston, it did look like coach was going to give Boston the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't necessarily going to give somebody like Dante. 
Now, they didn't have to play one or the other. They could have played both, and I think sometimes they were both in together. But that comment he made after that game where he's not after hurting anybody's heart or didn't want anybody's feelings hurt, I'm like, I don't know. I played Division One college basketball four years. That's all my coaches wanted. They wanted feelings hurt because if your feelings aren't hurt, you're not getting better. And I know what coach was saying, and coach is always selling, and he is, but that did bother me. And, and I will say that did bother me, and I do think that's where he's got to say, okay, I'm paid – to win championships. That's why Kentucky fans want him here. That's why Mitch Barnhart has hired him. He's been hired to win national championships. If his main motivation, and he's open about this, he he wants to let kids fulfill their dreams. If that's his main motivation, then maybe this isn't the place for him because UK fans, they want their they want to see stars like Murray and Booker and Anthony Davis doing and Marcus Cousins killing it in the NBA. But what they really want is to hang banners. And I get that. Well, you see, you gave me a, a, a little new perspective on the on the whole t- on the whole deal, man. So I guess with the this is one question I had, and I don't know if there's a a solution. Yeah. With the Devin, with the Devin Askew uh, leaving situation, do you yeah. think there's any other situation? The way we ended the season, and you 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 kind of hit on this with Brandon Boston, he was going to play no matter what. Uh, yeah. What do you think about what if we move Devin? Uh, what if we move Davion Mintz to the one as we did in the end? Uh, I know his hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. Move uh, Allen to the two, or yeah. leave Boston at the two. Between two and three, Boston and Allen, and, and, and take. Give, and I'm not saying throw Askew in the bench. I'm saying give Askew a chance to, you know, when when it's, the pressure is too hot for him, give him a chance to sit back and assess it. And let. And him I think that's the thing. And I th- I think that's the thing that that confused a lot of people is that wait a minute, this wasn't a Dante or Brandon Boston. Why couldn't you play both? Because it's it's, a, it's called a rotation for a reason. The rotation always isn't always this guy in for this guy. It's this guy in for this guy because I've got to get something else going on out here. So I don't know about Devin, and, and I don't know about him leaving. What I do know is University of Kentucky and every NCAA team, they make a commitment of one year to each of these players. That's it. You know this. It's not a four-year scholarship. It's a one-year scholarship that the team is allowed to renew. The players now have a little bit more power where they can say, well, I made a one-year commitment to you. Up until now, the players have made a four-year commitment to a team that's only made a one-year commitment to them. That's not fair. So now things are a little bit different and a little more fair than they should be because these players can leave. As far as what we should do, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. The transfer portal in and of itself, I think is going to wind up being a great thing for us because it looks like right now Cal's done recruiting freshmen for this year at least. He's looking at this transfer portal saying, man, bring me some experienced players. And to me, that's, that's the positive step in. He's starting to get it like, look, we got to have some seniority. We do have to have a Darius Miller, somebody that knows when we're down 10 with five minutes left to go, game in over, just like if we're up 10 with five minutes to go, game in over. So I don't know where the answer is as far as the rotation. What I do know is that I feel like sometimes kids feel like they're being recruited over. The bad part about the um, the transfer portal, though, A, is that you and I both know we felt compelled to be here, Right. I don't know if you ever toyed with transferring. I never did. I toyed with quitting, but not transferring. Um, <laughs> when you when you don't when you when you don't have any other option, right? When you have an option to leave because you don't think coach is being fair, or you don't think you're getting a good shake, or this guy's coming in, there's no way you're going to be able to compete with him for playing time. Man, it's easy to leave instead of work harder to beat the competition, and that makes you competitive. That means when you go out there against a Florida and you're down 19 with nine minutes left. No, you work your tail off, you come back and you beat them. It just so happens that COVID steps in and you can't beat that and you lose your chance to go to the SEC and NCAA two years ago. But these kids, I'm afraid many of them are going to, instead of sticking it out and get tougher and fight for their playing time. 
and fight their and be competitive against their teammates. Because in some retrospect, that's what builds a team, right? I'm going to go at you. I'm going to kill you every day in practice. But when the whistle blows, I'm going to pick you up off the off the floor. We're going to go in here and we're going to go to class together and we're going to be boys. We're going to go to the lodge together and we're going to be boys. But during practice, I'm going to kill you. Because if you come at me and want to kill me during practice, all that does is make me better. If I can leave that easily, then I don't know how many of these guys are going to be mentally tough enough to say, you know what? The easy way out is to leave. The tough way out is to stick it out. Stay where I've committed, at least for last year. Commit again to this year. Play for this amazing coach who gets guys to the NBA and bam, get better. Because I'm not sure if you're going to become the best you can be by transferring to another program. Michelle Brown says hello. I uh, saw. Hi, Michelle. Uh, this is what I was going to ask you. Uh, I said, we got a couple more minutes left, a couple more questions. Uh, oh, so as a former player, because the same thing you said about the guys leaving, was, yeah. uh, we had, I think, three receivers hit the transfer portal. Yeah. In the past month, and everybody was asking, why do you think everybody's leaving? And yeah. I said, same thing you said. If, if the kitchen's too hot for them, we want them getting out of the kitchen before we get down in the swamp. And it's, it's 90 good. degrees, and we're trying to win a football game. But but what do you, what's your take as a former player and a guy who worked his way up into, you know, starting lineup to, to get on a national championship team? I'm talking about a guy that came from walk-on, not promised any playing time, to guys like uh, Terrence Clark and uh, Brandon Boston, who in my eyes, I don't know how you feel in your eyes, probably not ready for the next level. Yeah. They probably um, did another year in college and they decided am, to leave. I am terrible at evaluating talent. I'm just not good at it. I can't look at a guy in high school and say he belongs to the next level. I can't look at a guy in college and say he belongs to the next level. Um, but here's what I do know is that we make a lot of this education these players are getting. And the actual education they're getting is a liberal arts education that is not invaluable. It's very valuable, but you can get the same education by going down the library and reading books. We make a lot about this. Well, these players are getting education. That's all well and good, but here's the thing. Until the University of Kentucky, and this is not this is not um, singular to University of Kentucky. This is all athletic departments on NCAA Division I. Until the athletic director at the University of Arizona is paid via a education the same way his players are paid via an education, then it's not fair. It's just not. So everybody down at UK, and I love everyone down. I love Mitch Barnhart. I love, I got, I've still got friends that work down there. But if the people bringing in the money are, are getting paid via this education, then the people working down there need to be paid via the same education and not paychecks as well. So when I see a guy like Terrence Clark or these guys leaving early, even though they may not be ready, they live like kings at Kentucky. And let's not make any bones about that. They live like kings at Kentucky, especially the basketball team. They live like kings. They eat better. They travel better. They sleep better. They, they, their dorms are better. They live like kings, but they're not making any money and they're making money for other people. And that's, a, that's hard on a lot of kids and becoming more and more hard. When I played, I never even thought about it. It was after I got out that I started seeing the money changing hands, meaning, wait a minute, you mean I'm going down here and at Fayette Mall, Two days after my career is over, I'm going to Fate Mall and I'm going to sign for three hours and make $4,000. Yeah. Where's this been? Right. It wasn't allowed. So if I'm a player and I'm looking at this money that even the G League's offering, why am I not going to? Here's the thing. As great as Cal is, there are coaches in the G League that know how to coach NBA talent. These are not these are not bad coaches in the G League. These are great coaches in the G League. They're, they're potentially there are a few of them that have gone up and become head coaches in the NBA. These are good coaches who want to make it to the NBA, the same way these players do. So this is not bad, talented coaches. Like if, if Terrence Clark goes and winds up in the G League, well, he's just going to be stuck there because no chance of him ever coming out of that. 
those guys know as much as Cal does. There, there is, there is no Coach Shashevsky, Coach Cal, Coach Behan. There's no like, mon- like monopoly on basketball knowledge. Everybody knows it's a matter of motivation and who you can get to sell your heart out to you, right? So if these guys want to make money and that's what they want to do, they want to be paid to play. Their best chance is to go, even if they're not ready for the NBA. They're going to be ready for the G League, and the G League's going to pay them. May not pay them with the NBA pays them, and they may not live as well as they did at Kentucky. Chances are they won't, but they're going to be getting paychecks, and that's what matters to many of these kids. Now, we can talk about their education all you want, but the bottom line is that education is no guarantee of a job anyway. I give you that. I give you that. Uh, I understand that. Absolutely. Uh, so going into this season, I know you may not have been a lot going on. You've been busy, man. Trying to that's why you're cutting down the podcast, trying to get do you are you aware of or the, the what we have come from what we had the problems we had last year and what we have coming in, uh Shibway, Grady, Grandy, or Grandy, uh, yeah, I always get that one confused. From uh um Davidson. Hey, yeah. And then we got then we got the freshman guys coming in, which we got a point guard and Grandy, and uh I keep forgetting the other kid's name. The other point guard, we, the freshman we got coming in that plays point guard. Do you think we're addressing the issues? How do you how do you think it's stacking up for next year? No, seeing what I we think, have. I mean, if you look at everything we had last year, and again, it, it, last year was so hard to watch. But you look at everything we had last year. I think the thing that stick, sticks out to most people, and I think it's fair to say, since Murray, um, maybe we had a few players after Murray. Um, I, I can't remember even remember when Booker played. It all runs together now. But man, I think so many people just they want shooters. They want somebody. They, like I think it got fans excited when this kid from Davidson Grundy started coming around and started talking about that his hero was Steph Curry. Because immediately, what do we do? We imagine, oh, shoot, we got Steph Curry coming to Kentucky to play, right? Because right. if this kid's modeled his game after Steph Curry, I'll take a Steph Curry wannabe. Absolutely. If he's popping off screens and firing, the, firing that ball the way Steph Curry does, I'll take him. Um, I don't know if he's addressing it or not. What I do know is I think, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, I think the biggest problem this year, I think talent was was an issue, and I think it's the first year talent has actually been the, one of the big issues. But I think the biggest problem this year was these guys, for whatever reason, just never bought into each other. And I heard a lot of talk about them blaming COVID, and a lot of people want to dismiss that, and I kind of do too because every team was in the same situation, but not every team was as young as we were, right? Not every team was as young. Yeah. So when when you look at that, you're like, okay, well, that that, that that's a little bit different as far as – these guys were younger and uh, and these guys are like they've got a cow. What cow with the genius of what cow does, Anthony, every year is he takes these a bunch of arrogant, cocky McDonald's all Americans and he gets them to believe that we go further than you. We as a team are going can do something special. You as an individual are not going to do anything special this year. You might up your NBA stock, but to be honest, the NBA teams aren't going to be that impressed if they see a selfish player. They want to see NBA teams want to win world championships, they want to see teams, players that can win games and want to win. And that's what I think Coach Cal needs. He needs guys that are going to come in and say, hey, I don't care about my minutes. I don't care about my, my my points. What I care about is being the best I can become, letting Cal have complete control over me and be, letting him turn me into a professional and then hopefully going as far as I can. Look, we've seen these kids crying at the end of the tournament. I mean, we you can't tell me these kids don't want to win a national championship. They do. Um, I don't know if we saw that from this year's team, but I've seen it from past year's team. They're in the locker room crying after they get bit out of the tournament. I think Cal just needs some guys on the team that are going to join, go back to the old years of Cal. Because, look, Sweet 16, I, I, I agree, unacceptable. Elite 8, I'm good. If we make the lead every year, I'm like, okay, we're on the verge. Because here's all you can ask for. 
You have to ask for a chance to win the championship. And if you have a legitimate chance and every Cal year, every Cal year, except last year and the NIT year, they have had a legitimate chance to win it, including the year before, because all of a sudden they started playing great ball at the end. Every year we've got a chance. That's all we can ask from our coach. We, he, he can't guarantee us national championships and we shouldn't ask him to. We should ask him to guarantee us legitimate shots at winning championships because if we're going to win a championship, the two I've won, I do not have if the ball does not bounce our way a couple of times. That 96 championship game against Syracuse was the worst game we played all year, and we still won because things just happened and we won. Now, you can say talent. It was talent. You can say we were together a long time. We were, but we got to have a group of guys that want to win championships more than they want to make it to the NBA or at least split it 50-50. And for Cal to get us to an elite eight, for Cal to get us to an elite eight, and knowing the issues we had last year, mm-hmm. with Wakeman coming in as a freshman, Grandy coming in as transfer, and I don't, we don't know what Davion Mintz is going to do right now, right. and I believe he wants to go back to the two. Are you are you fine with us going in there? Like that, I, I think we still have a couple spots open that we may be able. No, to- my understanding is we got four scholarships open unless something's happened the last week, and when I, and that may have happened because, like I said, since I'm winding down my radio show, I've kind of pulled back from social media, I pulled back from staying involved in all this stuff. But I think as of Sunday, Hunter was telling me that we have four open scholarships and also that Cal was looking at the transfer portal to fill those scholarships. So I don't know how many openings we have. Um, there is what I what I find funny is there's a, in the media is all kinds of excitement over this year's UK team. There's always excitement over this year's UK team. Doesn't matter what <laughs> doesn't matter what team it is. There's going to be excitement over the preseason team. The thing is, is that what are we going to do with that team and what are we going to wind up with? And here's the thing. Are they going to be as good as we were told they were? Right. Because some of these some of these evaluators and rankings of some of these guys, man, they're putting a lot of pressure on these kids to the point where like if Nick Richards, for example, Nick Richards comes to town. If he doesn't immediately jump to the NBA, what do we as UK fans say? Wasn't good enough to play here. Because we've gotten used to kids only good enough to play here if they leave immediately go to the NBA. Then we complain about the fact that they've immediately gone to the NBA and wish they'd been here longer. But if they're here longer, then we decide they weren't good enough to play here in the first place. So that, that's the frustrating part about being a UK fan sometimes is we've got this charismatic coach who knows what he's doing, who can get the talent to come to Kentucky. He's turned Kentucky into a farm system. I know we don't like that. But, man, we got a national championship in 2012, and we've been awfully close three other times. I mean, at least two other times we were in the national title game and we've been to the final four, I think, four times since he's been here. I can't complain two wits about that. That is phenomenal coaching, especially when you're doing it with a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds. Here's my last two questions. Okay. If going into, if, if as point guard dominant or point guard oriented as Cal's offenses are, yeah, we don't have a point guard on the roster right now that can play division. As as we, know, we got a freshman, you said. We got no Hickman's coming in. Okay. And we got Grandy transferring. Okay. We still, two. And with Davion Mintz is still, I don't, maybe, I hope I'm not, no, I'm not missing anybody because the other no. one went to the uh, other one went to the NBA and the other one transferred or is trying out for the NBA and the other one transferred. My point is if Davion Mintz doesn't come back, we're yeah. going to have a brand new guy at the head of the snake, which is detrimental. Like if the two years, the two, the two years that Kentucky fans haven't been happy with. Yeah. It's because he has subpar play at that position. So it's first to have a new guy, but, no matter who it is. That's true. But having there's a difference in having a subpar player and having a new player. We've had freshman point guards that have played phenomenally. John Wall, the very next year. Um, who's the next year? It's, it's Hunter's favorite player. He's going to kill me for not knowing it. Um, that one night year, was it? Yeah, Brandon Knight. Brandon Knight. I mean, these were freshmen. So they were brand new. So getting a brand new point guard doesn't necessarily mean devastation. 
it's getting a brand new point guard that's going to come in and not live up to expectations. Or even more important than that, because expectations can be unfair sometimes. It's having a brand new point guard come in and not fulfill the role as a point guard. Because we got to have, look, you're asking a lot from an 18-year-old to come in with all this talent and say, you all belong to me. Because that's what a point guard's got to do. He's got to be the coach on the field or on the court and say, you shut up. Your turn to talk. You go out and sit on the bench. And that's what Anthony Epps did. That's what Wayne Turner eventually did. Wayne Turner had a right to yell at any of us. Anthony Epps had a right to yell at any of us. And the moment we barked back at Anthony Epps or Wayne Turner, Coach P would put us on the line. Coach Smith put us on the line. We don't bark back to our leader on the court. So if you've got a guy that's got that much leadership skill and can come in, dish the ball around, maybe make the occasional three-point shot, but own the team. You all are my team. I'm not your, I'm not one. You all are my team. I'm going to tell you what to go. We got that kind of leader. He can be special. All right. My, my last question is two-party. And I'm curious to see how you answer. You, hey, man, you surprised me, oh, man. No, no, no. I'm just saying you surprised me. I, I thought you were going to come on here, give a little coach speak, or, you know, just give some <laughs> heartfelt speeches on, well, man, I love UK. I love the blue. Man, Cal, give Cal a chance. You gave, you, everybody said it. You've given good reason and perspective on I, a lot I of things. Love, I do love UK, but, but I think, and again, it's what we talked about before we, you hit the play button. I've been there, and that doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about all the time, but I've been there. It's like, Anthony, I would defer to you or Tim Couch or Craig Yeast, or if I'm if I want to talk to somebody about football, about this year's football team, I'm going to you all because I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to football, right? I want you all to tell me, what do you think about this year's team? What do you think we need? The only thing I know about, I know about college basketball. I can't tell you about the NBA. I can't tell you about AAU. I didn't play that. I played high school basketball, middle school basketball. I played college basketball at the University of Kentucky for four years. I have two national championships. I can tell you how we got there. That's what I can tell you. Now, I can. I, I sometimes I get frustrated with fans. Sometimes I get frustrated with their expectations. Sometimes I get frustrated with their un, unreal, unreal, unrealistic expectations. But I can tell you what it took to win two national championships. And and I mean this with all the love in the world, Nazi. But if Nazi had hit a few foul shots towards the end of the '97 game, we would have been three for three. Um, but to be fair to Nazi, if I had hit a three pointer early in the game, it would have erased, erased the need for him to hit that foul shot. So point is, it's just saying, hey. I, I know what I'm talking about in this area, so I've got opinions about it. And I'm not quiet about those opinions most of the time. Good stuff. All right, so one side of the question, this, this final question, one side okay. of the question, if you have advice, because I like your answers, if you have no. advice for Cal, what would that be? And if you got advice for Big Blue Nation, what would that be? The advice for Big Blue Nation would be leave, just get off Cal for a few years. You know, if we're in the year 15 and he hadn't gotten us back to a Final Four, okay, I get it. Maybe there needs to be a change, but we're in year 10. Um, he is making some changes. We're coming off the worst year he has ever had. One of the worst years in the history of our program. Let's see what happens next year, because you go back to prior 10 years. It's hard to honestly complain about those years. As a matter of fact, it's ridiculous to complain about those 10 years. Um, so I don't know what advice to give the fans other than be patient with Cal, because he has proven to us he can put a team on the court that has a legitimate shot at winning a national championship. And that is all we should be able to ask of him because he cannot guarantee one because there's 200 some odd schools that are chasing the same title we are. To Coach Cal, I, I say this not knowing his heart or his mind. I really wish as much as I love what he does, because look, when he says he wants to get a kid to the NBA, I truly believe that's altruistic. Now, it's not hurting him in the recruiting pools to be able to get these kids to the NBA fast, but I do truly believe he wants to let these kids live out their dream. That makes him feel good. And I appreciate that, man. He is taking some kids out of horrible poverty, A, and you know this, 
and putting them into the dream and being able to buy their mom's houses and cars and, you know, the women that have raised them and, and parents and like Carl Anthony Towns, his parents were so close to him and Carl being able to buy his parents some things that he never would have been able to buy them, man. That's a cool thing to be able to do. And Cal loves being able to give those players that gift to their family. But I wish he would make the championship SEC and NCAA, primarily NCAA, more of a have to win, more of a this is the goal. NBA, yes, secondary goal, but national championship. We're not hanging banners, then we're not Kentucky. I wish that kind of overtook him a little bit more than it seems like it does. Oh, man, that's some good stuff, man. Good stuff you dropped. I'm sad to hear, man, the the, the Cameron Mills show. It's going a new direction. You're going to make cameos after May 2nd. I will. If Hunter, and, if Hunter and Chandler keep wanting to do their podcast, I'll be on there every now and Listen, I'm far better as a sidekick anyway. I'm never this good on my own show. I'm terrible on my own show. <laughs> I'm glad you saved the good stuff for me. And, I, and hey, I, I tell you, man, I, I the door is open. I know we don't pay as much as, as you guys that you make over there at iHeart. Man, I'm, that. I'm quitting the show because I don't have any more money, man. They're bleeding me dry. You're always welcome back on here, man. You, All right, baby. You I love you. That action, man. You're always welcome back. I love here. you. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. You have a great night. All right, man. I appreciate you, Cam. All right, babe. Take care. All right.